And we'll try to get done a little bit early if we can. Our next speaker is Dr. Jennifer Kaiser, who's at uh, University of Colorado Health Sciences Center. Um, she got her PharmD at Chapel Hill in North Carolina, and then went to San Diego um, for residency, and now is at the University of Colorado, uh, where she's working, but also working on her doctorate in pharmacology, so she's been pretty busy. Her focus throughout her career has been on uh, anti-HIV therapies and drug interactions, tenofovir, ritonavir, et cetera. And today she's gonna talk to us about how this all translates into drug interactions with hepatitis C drugs. And so we're very much looking forward to her going over the basics of this with us and there'll be a test on it in the end. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Sag, for that introduction. Can everyone hear me okay? No? Can you turn me up a little in the back? Okay, my squeaky southern voice sometimes doesn't uh, translate well. So I am gonna be talking about drug interactions today, and over the next uh, 30 minutes, my objectives are to compare and contrast the pharmacology of Baseprevir and Tilaprevir, to identify therapeutic classes of drugs that have the potential to interact with Baseprevir and Tilaprevir to discuss management of these interactions, and then I'm just gonna touch on the pharmacology and interaction potential of some of the investigational drugs. I know Dr. Warkowski already did that a bit, so I'm just gonna quickly review that. So many of you know that a lot of interactions are mediated by the cytochrome P450 enzyme system. So 60% of marketed medications are metabolized by cytochrome P450-3A4. And compounds that inhibit CYP3A4 are going to raise the concentrations of CYP3A substrates. And drugs that induce CYP3A are going to lower the concentrations of CYP3A substrates. Does everyone in the room feel comfortable with uh, CYP3A interactions and these concepts? Okay, good. So um, then I'll quickly go through this picture since most of you are familiar with this. So the concentration here is shown on the y-axis of a drug and the time on the x. And in red, these are the concentrations of the drug, a CYP3A substrate, in the blood. When you introduce an inhibitor, like ritonavir, the concentrations of the substrate are gonna go up. This is a picture of induction. Y-axis, again, concentration, X-axis, time. You have the substrate's concentration in the blood, shown in red. You add an inducer, like rifampin or efavirenz, and then the concentrations of the substrate will go down. And obviously, for antiviral drugs, this can have important implications. If your levels go too low, you lose your antiviral effect. If you have inhibition and your levels go too high, then you can have toxicities. So bosepravir and telaprevir are both CYP3A substrates. And this is evidenced by the fact that their concentrations are affected by CYP3A inhibitors and inducers. So throughout the presentation, I'll be using geometric mean ratios sometimes to show drug interactions. So this is the concentration of a drug when given with another drug in combination relative to the concentrations you would see when the drug's given alone, okay? And this slide shows that both Seprevir and Tilaprevir are affected by a potent inhibitor, ketoconazole, and a potent inducer, efavirenz. So the Bosepravir AUC is increased 2.3-fold by ketoconazole, and the Tilaprevir AUC is increased 1.62-fold with ketoconazole. With efavirenz, bosepravir trough is lowered about 44%, and the tilaprevir trough is lowered about 47% by efavirenz. 
But ciprovir is also metabolized by some enzymes called aldoketoreductases, which I wasn't really familiar with having worked in HIV. Um, but interestingly, diflunazole and ibuprofen, which are AKR inhibitors, don't actually raise the levels of the ciprovir. So this may be because diflunazole and ibuprofen at the doses given in these studies weren't potent inhibitors of AKR. Or perhaps it's just because CYP3A is such a high-capacity enzyme system that if you block AKR, you still can have metabolism through CYP3A. Okay. Not only are bosepravir and telaprovir CYP3A substrates, they're also CYP3A inhibitors. So they can be perpetrators in drug interactions, not just victims. So midazolam and atorvastatin are some classic CYP3A probes. And bosepravir raises atorvastatin AUC 2.3-fold, and telaprovir raises it about 8-fold. So these data would suggest that telaprovir is a more potent CYP3A inhibitor. So although we generally think of cytochrome P450 enzymes, when we think of drug interactions, interactions can also occur at the level of drug transporters. Thousands of transporters are in the body. They have influx transporters moving substances in, and you have efflux transporters moving substances out. How many of you have heard of PGP? The show of hands. Okay, not everyone. Well, PGP is one of the more famous drug transporters, P-glycoprotein. And it is um, ubiquitously expressed. It's an efflux transporter. And it was discovered in the late 80s um, in tumor cells that were resistant to chemotherapeutic agents. So in the gut, PGP will pump drugs back into the gut, preventing absorption. In the kidney, uh, certain PGP substrates are eliminated more quickly from the renal proximal tubule cells into the urine. And then at the level of the hepatocyte, it's responsible for pumping drugs into the bile and helping get rid of them. So PGP is um, one of the more well-known transporters. And both bisepravir and telaprovir are substrates for PGP. They also inhibit PGP. So digoxin is a PGP substrate. Bisepravir raises digoxin 1.2-fold, and telaprovir raises it 1.9-fold. So telaprovir may perhaps be a more potent PGP inhibitor. Now, these drugs don't only affect PGP. They affect some other transporters as well. For instance, bisepravir inhibits a transporter called OAT-P1B1 which is an uptake transporter. It takes things up into the liver. Um, some classic substrates for OP1B1 are the statins, HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors. And as this interaction shows, perhaps telaprovir inhibits some renal transporters. So this was a drug-drug interaction study with tenofovir. Tenofovir is an HIV nucleotide. And you'll see in blue the concentrations of tenofovir when given alone, and in gold the concentrations when given with telaprovir. They're increased about 30%. And the mechanism for this is a reduced renal clearance of tenofovir. And so this is thought to be due to the telaprovir inhibiting a multidrug resistance protein in the kidney, and thereby preventing optimal elimination of the tenofovir. The same does not occur with bisepravir, though. And in vitro, bisepravir has not been shown to inhibit any multidrug resistance uh, protein transporters. So this is just something to keep in mind that there may be CYP-mediated interactions, but there could also be transporter-mediated interactions with these drugs. So before I move on, just a quick review. Bisepravir and telaprovir, CYP3A substrates, CYP3A inhibitors. PGP substrates, PGP inhibitors. Also, bisepravir may inhibit OP1B1, and telaprovir may inhibit some multidrug resistance protein transporters. 
So can I use this information to predict drug-drug interactions in our patients? This is a 45-year-old Caucasian HIV hep C co-infected male who actually had a liver transplant six years ago, but his hep C has returned and he is now being considered for treatment. He was a hemophiliac. Uh, his other comorbidities include hyperlipidemia, hypertension, depression, and GERD, and he has a penicillin and sulfa allergy. This is his medication list. He is on a torvastatin, 10 milligrams a day for the hyperlipidemia, metoprolol and lisinopril for the hypertension, sertraline for the depression, omeprazole for GERD. His immunosuppressants include cyclosporin and mycophenolate, and he has been on this antiretroviral regimen well suppressed for six years. He's on nelfinavir, tenofovir, and lamivudine. And he is on atovaquone for PCP prophylaxis. In terms of his hep C, they attempted treatment with interferon and ribavirin in 2000, but he got <laughs> profound neutropenia, so they stopped it. And for various reasons, they haven't tried again. In 2006, he underwent a liver transplant. But as I mentioned, his hep C returned. Earlier this year, he had a biopsy, which showed grade three of four and stage two of four for inflammation and fibrosis. His viral load in July was three million. So he was diagnosed with HIV in the 80s. So he did get AZT monotherapy and then some triple nucleosides. And then in 97, he started in denivir, but he had GI intolerance, so they switched him to nelfinivir. Now, since 1997, he has been suppressed. And so the only other changes to his um, antiretrovirals have been due to upgrades, uh, not because of virologic failure. So he um, switched from AZT to D4T when he had that profound neutropenia in 2000, and then he uh, switched to tenofovir in 2006 when he had his liver transplant. He's been on that ever since. In July, his CD4 cell count was 561, 17%. Uh, so here are some of his lab studies. He had a cyclosporin level in August, which was 33, fasting lipids in, in January, which were within normal limits. His vitals, uh, his blood pressure has been consistently around 114 over 81 at his past three or four clinic visits. He weighs 59 kilos. And these are his lab tests. The uh, reference range is shown in parentheses. So he had elevated LFTs and uh, a low hemoglobin, but everything else was within normal limits. So this is a rather complicated case, but I think it highlights nicely a lot of the drug interactions that I want to touch on. So I have some audience response questions. I have four of them, and this is the first. And I'm going to start with the low-hanging fruit, some of the easier uh, comorbidities. How do we manage hyperlipidemia in this patient while they're on bisepravir and telaprovir? So assuming we're going to start bisepravir and telaprovir in this patient, what will we do with the uh, hyperlipidemic agent? So remember, he's on a torvastatin, 10 milligrams daily now. So the first choice is no change. We'll leave the low dose of a torvastatin as is because it is safe with bisepravir and telaprovir. We'll change the atorvastatin to simvastatin. We'll change the atorvastatin to pravastatin. Or how do we manage the hyperlipidemia? We won't. We'll stop the atorvastatin for now, and we'll restart it once the hep C PI course is completed. Okay, you guys ready to vote? You'll only have 10 seconds, so I want to make sure everybody's ready. Okay.
okay. All right, this is a pretty good split. So I should have warned you there's no right answer, but there may be some wrong answers. So <laughs> I like to simplify things as much as possible. So this is the stoplight approach to managing statin interactions. Red, stop, yellow, caution, green, go. Um, simvastatin. So simvastatin and lovastatin, this was choice uh, number two. Simvastatin is highly dependent on CYP3A for metabolism. In fact, when given with sequinavir ritonavir, so HIV ritonavir boosted PI, the simvastatin AUC increases 49-fold. And there are cases of rhabdomyolysis and death. So simvastatin and lovastatin are not acceptable choices with telaprevir or bisepravir. So the atorvastatin, this was choice one. If the patient was going to start bisepravir, the atorvastatin would be fine. Okay, because if you remember, this was a two-fold increase. So you can use a low dose of atorvastatin and monitor that patient. But with the telaprevir, the AUC was increased eightfold with atorvastatin. So we shouldn't use atorvastatin with telaprevir. Okay, rosuvastatin might be an option. So it has not been studied with telaprevir or bisepravir. Less than 10% of it supposedly goes through cytochrome P450 mediated metabolism. So therefore, you wouldn't think that it would have interactions. But I mentioned earlier um, an effect of the seprevir on OATP1B1, which is a transporter responsible for taking up the statins. So you could have an interaction at the level of drug transporters. So um, this combination could be used, but just be aware that rosuvastatin levels could be increased. Pravastatin and fluvastatin are safe with both bisepravir and telaprevir. Bisepravir has been studied with pravastatin and its area under the curve has increased about 60%, so you may need to use a lower dose, but that is an option for the patient. So, number one would have been correct if you were um, only going to use bisepravir. Number two is not correct because you can't use simvastatin. Number three is fine. And then choice number four, that was stopping the statin while we do uh, the treatment. Um, I've actually had several providers uh, in Colorado do that, so um, that is being done some. Especially with telaprevir since it's only a 12-week course. Okay, so how about his antihypertensive agents? So what medications was he taking for hypertension? Lisinopril and metoprolol, right? So you're okay with the ACE inhibitors. ACE inhibitors and diuretics are not gonna interact with bisepravir and telaprevir. And how about the metoprolol? It's, it's okay too. The only beta blockers that you have to think about uh, with interaction potential are the carvedilol and the bivalol. And angiotensin receptor blockers, erbosartan and losartan, so our patients, not only these, I just wanna be complete, these are metabolized by CYP3A, so they may be affected. If you have a patient on a calcium channel blocker, you should take pause because these medications are reliant on CYP3A for their metabolism. And with amlodipine, telaprevir increased amlodipine AUC 2.7 fold. So it's likely that you're gonna need a lower dose of the calcium channel blockers with these agents. How about his antidepressant? Well, the only antidepressant that has been studied so far with telaprevir and bisepravir is escitalopram. And now I spent the first several minutes of this, uh, of this lecture telling you how bisepravir and telaprevir would raise the levels of drugs because they are CYP3A inhibitors. But in fact, with escitalopram, both bisepravir and telaprevir lower the levels of this drug. The mechanism isn't completely understood. 
but escitalopram levels by itself are shown here in orange, and then with bisepravir in blue. And interestingly, in this study, they looked at the half-life of escitalopram with bisepravir, and it was shortened. So that can indicate hepatic induction. So perhaps bisepravir and tilaprovir do induce some hepatic enzymes, although there's no in vitro evidence that they do this. Um, that is a potential explanation for the interaction. Escitalopram is metabolized by CYP2C19, so perhaps that's the enzyme that gets um, uh, induced. With HIV protease inhibitors, paroxetine and sertraline, their exposures were actually reduced. So it's possible that the SSRIs are going to be reduced with tilaprovir and bisepravir. A concentration effect relationships with SSRIs are not well established, so this doesn't mean run and, and increase their SSRI dose, but you may want to make the patient aware of the potential for an interaction and make a mental health care provider that may be caring for the patient aware of the interaction in case they do need to increase the dose. Okay, so we tackled the uh, easier comorbidities <laughs> now for the HIV, and then we'll do the immunosuppression. So if you'll remember, our patient was on nelfinavir, tenofovir, and lamivudine. This is not a um, first-line preferred antiretroviral regimen, according to the DHHS. It's a little, uh, it's an older regimen, but it's been working for the patient, and he's had enough going on that we didn't change his HIV therapy. But should we at this point? So you have four choices for the patient. Maintain his current antiretroviral treatment. Two, discontinue the nelfinavir and switch to another protease inhibitor. Three, discontinue the nelfinavir and switch to a non-nucleoside. Or four, discontinue the nelfinavir and switch to the integrase inhibitor, raltegravir. Okay, are you ready to vote? You get 10 seconds to decide what to do with this man. <laughs> okay. Okay, good, there's a little bit of spread. And again, there may not be a right answer here. So, um, sorry, my students hate when I have cases like this where they can't figure out the exact answer, but this is real life. Okay, so many of you would want to discontinue the nelfinavir and switch to raltegravir. Uh, a few did want to keep with the current regimen. There are no data, though, with nelfinavir and bisepravir or tilaprovir. So we'd be making a guess as to whether or not we think there'd be an interaction. Nelfinavir is primarily metabolized by CYP2C9, and um, with contributions of 2C19 and 3A as well. And we don't know exactly what would happen, but nelfinavir is a slightly less potent protease inhibitor than the others. So there may be a risk at leaving him on this regimen. How about switching to another PI? Well, this was a healthy volunteer drug-drug interaction study with tilaprovir and four ritonavir-boosted PIs. And these are area under the concentration curves for the HIV PIs. And you'll see the interactions were kind of all over the board. So first, the lopinavir was unchanged. The adizanavir was actually increased. But both the fosamprenavir and the darunavir were actually significantly reduced by tilaprovir. You'll see their curves were just kind of shifted down. Their levels were shown in blue when given with the uh, tilaprovir. And unfortunately, this was a bi-directional interaction. So the tilaprovir was affected as well. So the levels of tilaprovir when given by itself are shown in blue, and then in the colors, these are the concentrations when given with the various PIs, HIV PIs. 
And atazanavir was the least affected. It was reduced about 20%. So atazanavir has still been studied with telaprevir in the phase three trials, but the other drugs are not being used with telaprevir at this time. Bocepravir has also been studied with uh, three of the ritonavir-boosted HIV PIs, and uh, atazanavir, lopinavir, and darunavir are all reduced by bocepravir. So again, these interactions uh, are not occurring in the direction we would have expected. Again, it was bidirectional, so both lopinavir and darunavir also reduced the bocepravir. Bocepravir was not affected significantly by atazanavir. So, to summarize, <laughs> this is, these are the interactions with the HIV PIs and bisepravir and telaprevir. We have arrows going down, we have arrows going up, we have no change. These interactions are inconsistent, unexpected, <coughs> difficult to explain, and possibly multifactorial. They leave us scratching our heads. So, the one that can be uh, recommended or is being used at this time is boosted atazanavir with telaprevir because it was a 20%-ish um, reduction in telaprevir. So this one's still being used uh, in practice. The others require a little bit more study. So for those of you who saw the phase two co-infection data, 80% of those patients were on ritonavir-boosted PIs, and they had a 61% SVR. That's comparable to hep C mono-infected patients. So if we're having this great big drug interaction, why aren't more people failing treatment? So clearly we need to uh, reconcile the inconsistency between the phase two findings that had you know, good SVR rates and these healthy volunteer drug-drug interaction study findings. Um, I could speculate on mechanisms for this and discuss some of the work that we're doing in this area, but it's a bit beyond the time limit and scope of this talk. How about a non-nucleoside? So I already showed you the data with efavirenz, where bisepravir is lowered about 44%, telaprevir is lowered about 47%. What about rilpivirine or etrovirine? Well, with uh, rilpivirine, it hasn't been studied with bisepravir, but its levels are increased 89% with telaprevir. With etrovirine, uh, we did this study and found that the bisepravir lowered etrovirine by 29%, but the bisepravir was unchanged. That's not what we hypothesized. We thought a travarine would go up and bisepravir would go down, and that's not what we saw. <laughs> with telaprevir, the interaction with etrovirine looked quite different. The etrovirine was unchanged. The telaprevir was lowered a bit, 25%. So again, unexpected, inconsistent, difficult to explain. How about raltegravir? So raltegravir is not affected by bisepravir. It is increased a bit by telaprevir. Does anyone know how raltegravir is metabolized? Yeah, you can read on slide, raltegravir. But yeah, UGT1A1 is the enzyme responsible for raltegravir metabolism. And in vitro, uh, bisepravir and telaprevir did not bother UGT1A1. And this study would suggest that the, uh, there is no inhibition of UGT1A1, that the increase that we see here is actually because telaprevir is inhibiting PGP. So, but a 30% <coughs> increase in raltegravir levels is not thought to have clinical relevance because raltegravir has a very wide therapeutic index such that a 30% increase would not put the patient at risk for toxicities. So, uh, our choices, leave the regimen the same, switch to a PI. Well, switching to a PI, which, which PI could we use? Atazanavir with telaprevir only. 
but the patient's on a medication that could bother the atazanavir. Does anyone know what that is? Omeprazole, that's right, the PPI. So we would have to switch that PPI to an H2 blocker if we decided to go with etazanivir. Uh, the third choice was a non-nucleoside. So the interactions with the non-nukes, um, it's difficult to know what the clinical relevance of those interactions might be. So if you used real pivirine, would an 89% increase cause more toxicities? Janssen says no. Um, and with the etrovirine, would a reduction by 29% with bacepravir put a patient at risk? Uh, it's difficult to say. Normally they consider the um, equivalence limit 0.5 to 2, and we only had a reduction of 29%. So that means you could have a change of 50% up to 200% and not have um, any effect. But I think that depends on the patient. And plus, we did this study in healthy volunteers in a setting with no other antiretroviral drugs. But what about when the patient takes other antiretroviral drugs and then there's more interactions? So it's, it's a, little, um, a little unsettling probably to use the non-nucleosides. But raltegravir looks to be a good choice with either the telaprevir or the bacepravir. And we actually haven't changed this patient's um, medications yet, but we are leaning towards using raltegravir and in discussions about addition of a fourth agent. <coughs> Again, I like to simplify things. So this is my scorecard for interactions with the hep CPIs and antiretroviral drugs. In red, stop. These are the HIV ritonavir boosted PIs. Um, I think we need a little bit more data here on the mechanisms for the interaction and the clinical significance of the interactions. But you can use, as I mentioned, atazanavir with telaprevir. Nelfinavir, no data. Um, the non-nukes I left yellow for caution, and then raltegravir I have in green. Efavirenz can be used with telaprevir, so I didn't mean to tell you that that reduction meant you couldn't use them. Um, together, we're just increasing the dose of the telaprevir to 1125Q8 instead of 750Q8 to try to overcome the induction by efavirenz. The L-vitegravir, cobisostat, and maraviroc data are coming very soon. Okay, so we've tackled everything except the immunosuppression. So what do we do with this patient's immunosuppression while they are on bacepravir or telaprevir? Now, of course, what you decide to do with the HIV medications will affect this, but let's ignore that for now and just focus on what you would do with the bacepravir or telaprevir with the immunosuppressants. He is on, remember, cyclosporin, 25 milligrams a day, and mycophenolate, 500 milligrams twice a day. So would you change his cyclosporin to tacrolimus, empirically reduce the cyclosporin dose by half, and then use therapeutic drug monitoring to guide further doses of the cyclosporin? Would you keep the cyclosporin dose the same, but extend the dosing interval? So wait and redose once the cyclosporin concentrations are in the desired range. Or number four, I have a better idea, <laughs> which you may have. Okay, you guys ready to vote? Okay, so most of you would do number two. You would reduce the cyclosporin, cyclosporin dose empirically by half and then use TDM. So I have seen folks do number three, though. Um, 
and they did that quite a bit with the HIV drugs, and especially with tacrolimus, where they just carefully monitored the levels and then redosed when they needed to. And those who have a better idea, um, be happy to hear those, hear those better ideas. We are actually doing number two at our institution. So the interaction with cyclosporin and telaprovir is 4.64 fold. And with bacepravir, it's 2.7 fold. We use a little bit more telaprovir at um, our institution. But we were reducing empirically that cyclosporin dose by 75% initially but we were overshooting it quite a bit. Some patients ended up low. So now we've been going down by half and then adjusting from there. That's just what we're doing as part of our protocol. Um, number one was switched to tacrolimus. Well, I don't think that would be a good idea um, because the patient's already stable in the cyclosporin and the magnitude of the interaction. So telaprovir increases tacrolimus by 70-fold and bacepravir increases tacrolimus by 17-fold. Does anybody want to share their better idea before I go on? <laughs> okay, no, no one wants to no one wants to share. Okay. Okay, so I think we've tackled most of the interactions here, but now what happens when you're done with the bacepravir or the telaprevir and you need to readjust some of these medications that you adjusted? How long does it take for the inhibition effects of the telaprevir or the bacepravir to wear off? Is it one, immediately following the last dose of the telaprevir or bacepravir? Two, one half-life of the drug, so this would be nine to 11 hours for telaprevir or one to three hours for bacepravir. One week or one month? Okay, this one's a little harder. Okay, y'all thought since I was a pharmacologist, the answer would have to have half-life in it, but that's not true, actually. <laughs> the correct answer is actually number three. So bacepravir and telaprevir are suicide inhibitors of CYP3A, which means you have to wait for the body to make new CYP3A for the effects to wear off, and that can take up to one week. I wish that I could tell you exactly how to predict these interactions, but I can't. Um, so you really do need a reliable, up-to-date resource for drug-drug interactions. Unfortunately, the product label and review papers um, are not always current, so you will need a resource. And I like this one. This is the University of Liverpool's website. It's hep-druginteractions.org. Um, they also have an HIV-druginteractions.org that some of you may have already used, but you can click here for the drug interaction charts and look up the interactions, and if you're a nerd like me, they tell you where the interactions were presented, so then you can go look them up if you need additional information. And they keep this fairly uh, up to date. They also have an app for iPhone, which is nice <coughs> when you're on rounds or in clinic. So how about the future? What does the future hold? Well, these are a few agents that are in phase three clinical trials or have recently completed phase three trials. We have the Beringel-Ingelheim protease inhibitor, the Tebatec or Janssen protease inhibitor, Decladisphere, the NS5A, Sofosfavir, and Alasporavir. 
which is a cyclophilin A inhibitor, which I was told recently may not make it. But four of uh, five of these drugs are CYP3A substrates, and four of five of these drugs affect transporters. They inhibit transporters. So drug interactions may still be an issue uh, with these agents. Sofosbuvir is a uridine nucleotide. It's not metabolized by cytochrome P450 enzymes, which means it has uh, less potential for interactions, but don't be fooled. I think my mic just might have gone out. Don't be fooled that they have no interactions. Uh, nucleosides can have interactions at the level of drug transporters or intracellularly, because these drugs require intracellular phosphorylation to exert their effects. So just be aware that there could potentially be interactions, although there's nothing to indicate right now that there are interactions. And three of them have been studied for their interaction potential with antiretrovirals. Um, the uh, Janssen PI has been studied and can be used with tenofovir, ropivirine, and raltegravir. Declatosphere dosing is going to look a lot like Maraviroc, I suspect, you know, where you have to use a higher dose if you're on an inducer and a lower dose if you're on an inhibitor. So when you write prescriptions for this in a few years, just remember that um, you may be getting calls from pharmacy telling you how to adjust it if you're using it with HIV medications that require um, some adjustment of the dose. Okay. So in conclusion, bisepravir and telaprevir have complex pharmacology. Their interactions are not easily predicted, unfortunately. Identification and management of these interactions is critical, however, with these patients. And perhaps the next batch of hep C agents will have fewer or more easily predicted interactions, but it's a little bit too soon for me to tell. Okay, thank you very much. We have questions for our PharmD. No, fantastic. Oh, we do have one in the back. This is a very fundamental question, but how did he get hepatitis C again? Oh, he, he was never treated, so almost 100% of patients that get a new liver will, um, uh, will, will re, it will, the new liver will be reinfected if they are not treated. All right, so I think for the sake of time, um, we will move forward with our next speaker.